I'm excited to share with, with you what God put on my heart. You know, we've been talking about learning to live the lifestyle of Jesus. And although this isn't on the surface an extremely exciting sermon series because it's like not called breakthrough or God's going to bless you, I believe this is the path to all blessing is as we learn and, and to live the lifestyle of Jesus because we talked about this in week one that some of what you're praying for is currently in the hands of darkness. And so God would never call you to a place that you would become like the place. If he's going to call you into darkness, you need to be light. And we'd use light around like it's like the light, the vibe, the in, light in and of itself. If we're talking about spiritual light, God was the one who said, let there be light. And the whole earth illuminated. And then he created the sun, the moon, and the stars like nine verses later. So what light was that? It was the glory of Jesus Christ illuminating the earth. And so when God says, let there be light today, he's often talking about humanity, his sons and daughters filled with light. Now, how do you get the light? John chapter 1 says, and the word. This is why we preach the word. This is why I don't preach my own opinions or what I think. We preach the word because the Bible says the word brought life, the life brought light, and darkness could not comprehend it. You ever gone into a season where you feel confused? Because things are coming against you in such a way you're like, God, did you really call me to do this? The Bible says that if you allow the word to bring light and the light to bring the life of Jesus, the darkness will get confused. Who is this person that we cannot seem to discourage? Who is this person that gets hope in the middle of hopelessness? Who is this person who has peace in what brings other people anxiety? The Bible says darkness cannot comprehend a believer who is shedding light. You got to understand this because I believe it is my wife's job and my job to prepare you for major increase. I don't know. I'll take your increase. You don't seem too excited about that. I will take, it's like I grow up, you're going to eat that wing, that chicken wing? I'll take that chicken wing. If you don't want your blessing, I'll take it. I'll take it. We need to be ready. So much of what God wants to do is about preparation. Are you willing to prepare, prepare for what you're praying for? Because you love to pray big prayers, but you got big preparation. This season is about preparation, and I promise you, there will not be a person in this church under the sound of my voice. If you do not ignore the word of the Lord that comes forth every single time, if you don't ignore this three years from now, your life will be unrecognizable. People, people have to say, you won't even look familiar. See, because some—I'm already preaching, man. I can't even—you're going to get me hyped. Because some people want to keep you down so you can feel familiar to them. They want you to look the same. They want you to be the same. They want you—hold on a second. I, I've never done this before. i got to stop my sermon because there's a brother in here right now who, I've, who I believe this is for you. The calling of God on your life is unprecedented. And I want to tell you that you are getting ready to go into double. And no matter what challenges you've been through, God has seen all of them. And the Bible says the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I came that you have life and have it more abundantly. So what does that mean? What the enemy kills, God says, I'm going to bring it back more. I'm going to bring it back more abundant than what the enemy killed. Do you hear what I'm telling you right now? 
And so this word that God gave me today is, I know it's for us as a church community. Numbers 13, verses 17 through 33 say this. If you have your Bibles, we're going Old Testament. Come on, Numbers. It says, Moses gave the men these instructions as he sent them out to explore the land. Go north through the Negev into the hill country. See, watch that word, see what the land is like and find out whether the people living there are strong or weak, few or many. There's that word again. See what kind of land they live in. Is it good or bad? Do their towns have walls or are they unprotected like open camps? Is the soil fertile or poor? Are there many trees? Do your best to bring back samples of the crops you see. It happened to be the season for harvesting the first ripe grapes. So they went up and explored the land from the wilderness of Zin as far as Rehob and near Lebohamath. Going north, they passed through the Negev and arrived at Hebron, where Ahiman, Sheshai, and Talmai. Shoot, I need some words right here. <laughs> I was flowing though, didn't stumble me. All descendants of Anak lived. The ancient town of Hebron was founded seven years before the Egyptian city of Zoan. And, and Hebron is a significant place in the Bible. There are so many times where God brought someone to Hebron to speak over them. And Hebron was where Abram was spoken to by God, where the covenant of circumcision happened, where God promised Abram that I will multiply and bless your descendants. That was in the city of Hebron. It was here in the city of Hebron where God is telling them, go and scout the promised land. It was also in Hebron where David was brought to to be anointed to be the leader of Judah. And then again at Hebron, he was anointed to be the leader of both Israel and Judah, unifying the nations. God seemed to want to bring people back to the same place to speak the same thing. I don't want you to be discouraged if you feel like you're not progressing and you're in the same place. Because God will oftentimes bring you to your place of Hebron, your same place, so he can tell you the same thing. Don't think you're in the same place as your ancestors. No, 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 no. God will bring you to the same place so he can tell you the same thing. I'm for you. I am with you. I'm going to bless you. Hang in there. He'll bring you to the same place. When God wants to speak to you, he'll, he'll bring you Hebron. When God wants the Lakers to win, he'll bring them LeBron. Either way, either way, either way. Do you understand what I'm saying? He will bring you to a familiar place to tell you something. And I don't want you to be discouraged if you don't feel like you're progressing because sometimes God will bring you back. He will allow you to be in the place of discouragement again so he can tell you that he's faithful. Because it's in the same place that you'll ask God, what do you want to tell me? See, when we're in the promised land, we don't talk to God. So God sometimes has to allow us to walk through discouragement again so he can remind us of who he is, therefore reminding us of who we are. Don't be discouraged if God has to bring you back to the same place. Somebody, you've, I'm, in, I'm in heartbreak again. And God said, I'm here every time. Every time I've met you there, I have met you there. We commune in your pain. And I want you to understand this. If you would learn to commune with God in your promise, you wouldn't have to commune with him so much in your, in your pain. Come on, we pray when we have a bad day, right? Do we pray when we have a good day? 
When it's a bad vibe, we start praying. You pray when it's a good vibe? It's important. It says, then they came down to the valley of Eshkol. They cut down a branch with a single cluster of grapes so large that it took two of them to carry it on a pole between them. They also brought back samples of the pomegranates and figs. That place was called the Valley of Eshkol, which means cluster, because of the cluster of grapes the Israelite men cut there. After exploring the land for 40 days, the men returned to Moses, Aaron, and the whole community of Israel at Kadesh in the wilderness of Paran. They reported to the whole community what they had seen and showed them the fruit they had taken from the land. This was their report to Moses. We entered the land you sent us to explore, and it is indeed a bountiful country, a land flowing with milk and honey. I like milk and money, but they were excited about milk and honey. And it says, here is the kind of fruit it produces, but God will show it to you before he gives it to you. And somebody in here is living in between the pain of what he showed before he gave. You, the, the enemy loves to meet you on the in-between of what God showed you and what God will give you. As believers, if we can learn to live in the gap between what God showed us and when he gives it to us, that is where we need to have the most faith. It says you showed it to us, but... The people living there are powerful, and their towns are large and fortified. We even saw giants there, the descendants of Anak. The Amalekites live in the Negev, and the Hittites and the Jebusites and the Amorites live in the hill country. See, you got to be careful. You're not more aware of your enemies than you are of your God. You got to be careful that you're not counting your haters and you're not counting your blessings. You got to be careful that you're not more aware of your enemies than your God, because when you're more aware of your enemy, we use this terminology too much, y'all. The devil is attacking me. The devil is attacking me. The devil attacked my car. Now I'm late for work. Brother, that's your alternator. It's not the devil. I mean, the devil does do stuff, but he doesn't do everything. You got to understand that. One of the biggest things I've learned about my theology is that God is omnipresent. God can be in Los Angeles and then be in Alhambra and then somewhere in Zimbabwe, it's going down because God is omnipresent. Did you know the devil is not omnipresent? He cannot be in two places at once. He cannot be in two places at once. And we're going to tap into that a, a little bit here because he, he, they're, they're more aware of their enemies. And the Bible says, but Caleb in verse 30 tried to quiet the people as they stood before Moses. Let's go at once to take the land. We can certainly conquer it. I got to tell you, when God gives you a dream, be careful who you tell first. Because sometimes if the enemy can't kill the dream in your heart, he'll make you tell the vision to a dream killer. They'll tell you it's impossible. Are you sure? Because I tried that, and it didn't work. How much longer are you going to do this? You're not able to provide for yourself. Doing How much longer are you going to pursue your dream? You got to be careful, because if he can't kill your dream, he'll, he'll send you to a dream killer. Did you know that Joseph's brothers, when he killed them, I want you to remember what came out of their mouth. They didn't say, we're going to kill Joseph. This is what they said. Here comes Joseph, the dreamer. Let's throw him in the pit, and let's see what becomes of his dreams. They weren't just trying to kill Joseph, they were trying to kill Joseph's dream because Joseph's dream would elevate him above them. See, 
Okay, I got to keep going. This has nothing to do with my sermon. Oh, I got to keep going. There's somebody in here who's telling their dreams to some dream killers. Don't do it. Don't do it. You need people around you like Caleb that say, let's go. Let's go. I want you to be around someone, you tell them something impossible, and they're like, let's go. You tell them you're on your fifth marriage. You say, I think I'm going to get married. Let's go. You tell them you're going to go into the industry and change things for God, and even though you ain't booked an audition in five years, they say, let's go. You tell them you're called to pastor a church, and even though you have no pedigree and you haven't been to Bible college, they say, let's go. I'm with you. You need a Caleb in your life when you start to dream. Somebody that tells you, let's go. Let's go. Let's go. Somebody shout, let's go. When God tells you something in your heart, you need to be surrounded by somebody who says, let's go. Matter of fact, the church is always talking about surrender, but I don't believe you can surrender unless you're surrounded. Did you hear what I just said? We're always talking about surrendering to God. I would never be able to live surrender unless I stay surrounded by people who encourage me and tell me when I fall to get up. You got to be surrounded by people who encourage your dreams. And it says that Caleb said, let's go. But the other men who had explored the land with him disagreed. We can't go up against them. They're stronger than we are. So they spread this bad report about a good promise. Then it says, the land we traveled through and explored will devour anyone who goes to live there. All the people we saw were huge. We even saw giants there, descendants of Anak. Next to them, we felt like grasshoppers. They let their feelings get in the way of what God told them. God told you that's your wife, but now you don't feel like she is. God told, do you see what I'm saying? And so I want to preach this message to you today that I believe is going to change your life because we hear this terminology, the devil made me do it. The devil made me do it. I want to preach a message called the devil made me view it. The devil made me view it. The devil gave me his perspective. Because guess what? Sometimes you don't need, you can fall into sin by viewing it the wrong way. See, we're in this, this series called The Lifestyle of Jesus, and I want you to understand this because I know you're called to L.A. There's things you want to do. I believe God has called you for great financial increase. But remember, Solomon, when God spoke to King Solomon, he said, get out. You can ask for whatever you want, and I'll give it to you. And Solomon said, give me wisdom. Because I know if I got the wisdom, I can get the money. I know if I got the wisdom. He said he didn't ask for material things. He asked, I want to think like God. That's what wisdom is. It's thinking like God, and then so how you, because you think like God, you do what God wants you to do. He said, I want to think like God, because you got to understand when we think like God, we can do what God wants us to do. God said, I, I want to give Solomon wisdom, and, and God said to Solomon, because you asked for wisdom, because you want to know how I think, now I can put you in charge of my money, because I know you'll think. Rich people, it starts with a mindset, not a wallet. It's a mindset. Do you get what I'm saying? He said, I, I want the mind of Christ. I want to think about the way that God wants me to think about it. 
We, in every week, we've gone back to Genesis chapter 1 and 3, and I was led here again because I realized something in Genesis chapter 3. The Bible says, now the serpent was more crafty. This word means he was deceitful. He was using his skill and knowledge to attain a different end. He says, I'm, he's crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? Do you notice that the devil did not tell Eve to eat the fruit? He just changed her perspective, and she ate the fruit on her own. You got to understand this. Remember I said God is omnipresent? The devil is not omnipresent. He cannot, there can, it's not possible for this church over here and this church over here to say the devil is attacking me because that would require for the devil to be in two places at once. What he does is he alters your perspective through an offense 10 years ago and then walks away from you and now you live out your actions through that bad perspective. He changes the way you see God. He changes the way you see your purpose. And if he can change the way you see it, he'll change what you do. Then he doesn't have to be there anymore. He can't be everywhere at once. So he goes from person to person, changing the way they see themselves, changing the way they see their calling, changing the way they see God, and now you're just slapping yourself upside the head. You ruin your own life with the enemy's perspective. This is so important that you understand this. Watch Genesis 3, 6. It said, so when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, she was around the tree already, not touching it. And then he changed the way she saw the tree, so he made her disobey God. And this is what you got to learn. We say things like, the devil made me do it, but sometimes the devil makes you view it wrong, so you do it wrong all on your own. Did you hear what I just said? Can you put it on the screen for him? I said, we say things, not that, the quote. They got to take a picture of it. We say things like the devil made me do it, but sometimes the devil makes you view it wrong, so you do it wrong all on your own. You got to take a picture of that because I came here to tell somebody that God wants to shift your perspective so that you can do all that God has called you to do. And when you do all that God has called you to do, you get all that God has called you to have. Oh my God, I'm preaching to myself because I'm tired of being stuck in the same place because I got the same janky. You can have a holy God and a janky, dirty perspective and be out of the will. You got to see it the way that God wants you to see it. And, and I realized what the enemy actually did in the garden was change their perspective. And I used to think that Jesus' hardest time was when he was hangry. Bible says he was fasting and he was in the wilderness and the enemy approached him and was saying, tempting him to do what God wanted him to do early, the devil's way. And each time Jesus said, it is written, even though he was starving, the enemy would try to tell him something else. And he would say, man does not live off of bread alone, but every word that comes out of the mouth of God. I used to think that was Jesus' hardest moment. But then I realized he kind of walked through that like a boss. It is written, quoting Scripture. Enemy was quoting Scripture. Enemy knows the word too, by the way. 
He was quoting scripture. And then I realized maybe that wasn't Jesus' toughest moment. Maybe that wasn't where he almost messed up. Because Adam and Eve were in the garden. And Jesus was in a garden of his own. It was called the Garden of Gethsemane. I said that wrong. Gethsemane. That's what I meant. Don't correct me in front of the people. He was in a garden of his own. Adam and Eve in the garden. Jesus in the garden. And the Bible says he was, he was struggling. He told his disciples, my soul is crushed with grief to the point of death. He didn't say that in the wilderness. He was like, it is written. Man does not live off of bread alone. No one tests God. He was, he was hungry, but, but yet he was in his garden. Woo, he was in his garden, and he said, my soul is crushed with grief to the point of death. And he told his disciples, stay here and keep watching. This means to pray. Can you imagine God needing prayer? We got to be a praying church. If you... Because here's the thing about prayer. Prayer changes your perspective. Watch this. You you know the Bible says in Philippians, with both prayer and petitions. Why does it say those two words? Because a petition is what you ask God for. Petition is when you ask God for your career. Do that. Ask God for a Tesla. Do that. Don't forget me. Ask God for... Ask God to bless your family. Ask God to do this. A petition is when you ask God to do something for you. You know what the word prayer means in the Greek? It means to exchange wishes. It means to come into the presence of God with one perspective and to come out of the presence of God with a different perspective. To exchange. You make an exchange. Real prayer. When I ask you how your prayer life is, I'm glad you pray for five hours in your prayer closet, but do you go into the presence of God different than when you came out? The book of Ezekiel says that no one was permitted to go through the east gate if they came in through the east gate. They had to go through a different gate. They had to go through the south gate. You know what that is? A prophecy. No one's allowed to come into the presence of God the same way they came. You can't. That's what prayer is. Prayer is I leave prayer different, a different mindset, a different perspective, a different plan. I could go to God with one thing and I come out with a different thing. And Jesus asked for prayer and I want you to catch why. He said this in verse 39. This is why he wanted prayer. He said, Father, if it's possible, can we do this a different way? I'm in this moment, and right now, even though I'm God, fully man, fully God, I have a different perspective. I don't want to go to the cross. And he said, is there any other way we could do this different? He checked in with God. Is there any other way? Does it have to take five years before the business gets off the ground? Does it have to take seven years before I win the Grammy? Does it have to? Because I know what I would do with this influence. Does it? Can we do it a different way? This is the moment in Scripture where Jesus seems to have a different perspective with God. Why do you think he asked for prayer? Because he's like, there's something in me that doesn't want to do this. I don't want to do this. You know you need prayer if Jesus needs prayer. (laughs) You know you need. (laughs) Now you know you need prayer. 
I've just been so busy, I haven't been praying much. Jesus needed prayer. You better pray. You better pray. I need y'all praying. You need prayer. I want you to realize this. Prayer is so important to perspective. Watch this. We need to believe that God would never give us a purpose so small that no one needs to pray for us. If you don't have people praying for you, you're thinking too small. We need to be praying. God has a big plan for our lives. Jesus was tempted to alter his perspective, and he said, can you pray? Because God, if there's any other way, and watch what he says, not my will, which means that Jesus had a different will. And he was able to recognize that my perspective on this might be different. My will might be different, but I don't want to do my will. I want to do your will. One of the biggest keys to blessing is that when you can determine that your will is different from God's will and you choose God's will. Do you hear what I'm saying? Because not always do we want to do what God tells us to do. I I didn't want to be a pastor. I wanted to be in the music business. I wanted to write hit songs and be on the radio. Y'all don't even listen to my YouTubes. Not even I'm on the radio. I ain't even on YouTube. But God knew better. Right? And, you, and sometimes we say, God's going to give me his plan. It's not just his plan. You got to believe that it is better. I'm so grateful God told me no. I'm grateful for the no's. Because sometimes God will tell you no, this is for your perspective. Sometimes God will tell you no because you're praying too small of a yes. He's got something way bigger than what you're praying for. Way bigger. And so we find these people in numbers, you know, kind of in, in a situation. They, they're, they're asked to, to see the promised land and, and see what they think about it. And then they were left out of the promised land, not because of sin, but because of perspective. That's scary. Because as a long time growing up in church, I I heard your sin. Actually, your sin, God has grace for your sin. Your perspective, though. It's hard for God to give you grace for your perspective. And, And hear what I'm saying. I hope I'm not preaching this wrong. But your perspective will allow you not to move forward. Grace doesn't make you move. There's grace for, gra- there's grace for where you're stuck. I guess if you want to stay here, you can stay here and you can discover God's grace. But no, faith is a moving. Do you know faith comes from a Greek word, piston, where we get the automotive word piston, which pistons are what makes something move. Do you hear what I just said? It's so important for you to understand that because I don't want God to give me grace for where I'm stuck. I want grace for the move, grace for the journey, grace for the walk. And watch this. This is crazy. You got to understand this because you'll always be forgiven. But watch what happened to them. God got so upset at their perspective. He says, I'm not, that's it. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not forgiving them. I'm not doing this anymore. This is obviously before Jesus. And Moses tells God this in Numbers 14. This is crazy. Numbers 14 verses 19 says, in keeping, he's, Moses, in keeping with your magnificent, unfailing love, please pardon the sins of the people just as you have forgiven them ever since they left Egypt. 
And then the Lord said, yep, I will pardon them. I will forgive them just as you have requested. But as surely as I live and as surely as the earth is filled with the Lord's glory, none of these people will ever enter into the land. He said, I forgive them, but they ain't going. I forgive you, Julian, but you ain't going. You're not going. I can't send you there. I forgive you, but you're not going. Over perspective. I forgive you of your sin, but your perspective will still keep you out of the promise. And I want to tell you this. A Christian with a bad perspective is forgiven but unfulfilled. You mad at your life? It might be your perspective. Somebody might be praying to get into what you're praying to get out of. That's perspective, right? That's perspective. You know, they say it. It's not Scripture, but another man's, one man's trash is another man's treasure. We understand this concept, and they were left out of the promise over perspective. And then Numbers 14, verse 31, they believe that even their children are going to suffer. And God says, no. You said your children would be carried off as plunder, but I'll bring them safely into the land, and then they'll enjoy what you despised. I think we need to leave that scripture. It's not a better circumstance. It's this person loves it. This person hates it. This person broke up with you. This person wants to marry you. you you're the same. Don't let that person make you think that you're not worthy of somebody walking down the aisle with you. Yes, you are. They just couldn't see it. And you better thank God for the people that couldn't see you. Woo! Listen, if I had a supernatural gift, I would pray for that dude you see into the club to go blind. Right as you walk across the dance floor, just clack, just blah, just blind, like, oh, and you walk safely to the bathroom because I don't need to pastor you through that bad relationship. <laughs> Shut up, clack. Oh, oh. They need to pray. You single? Please, Lord, don't let the wrong person see me. Please don't let the wrong job see me. Please don't let the wrong boss see me. Matter of fact, I don't, please don't let him see me. I want to be seen by who you want me to be seen by. I don't need the attention. I don't need more likes on Instagram. Matter of fact, I don't need them to see me because God, you see me. And I want to see myself how you see me. Not him, you. Not a boo, you. Not boo-boo, you-you. I don't know. I just got to keep going. I just got to keep going. I don't know. I didn't know how to get out of it. I didn't know how to get out of it. I didn't know how to get out of it, so I just said that. I didn't know how to get out of it. I know how to get out of it. Says so they'll enjoy what you despise. I'm going to speak this over somebody's life. Your ex hated you, and somebody's going to enjoy being around you. He's going to enjoy being around you. Enjoy. Paul said this prayer in Ephesians 1, verses 18, 18 through 19. He could have just said, God, I want you to give them all that. I could say that prayer right now. God, I want you to give them all that you have for them. That's not what Paul prayed. He prayed this. 
I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. It means be open. He prayed for the eyes of your heart to be open in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his, inglori- of his glorious inheritance. You have an inheritance. This is why we're preaching discipleship. I don't want to pray that God gives it to you because it's an inheritance. And I love the fact that how inheritances work because while you're waiting, it gets bigger. Oh, God. I know, you, I know it's been a long time. I know you've been waiting a long time for that dream. But that, let me tell you how inheritances work. If I put a million dollars, which I don't have, <laughs> but if I did, if I put a million dollars in an account for my kids to inherit when they're 30, it is not going to be a million dollars when they get it. It's going to be more because it's an inheritance. See, I don't want to release it because they're not big enough to deal with it, but as they get bigger, it gets bigger. See, God's waiting for you to get bigger. And it's not going to be the same size when you get to your inheritance because you get bigger, it will get bigger. And by the time you catch up to your inheritance, you thought it was this size, but it's this because it's been getting bigger in the spirit. I want to prophesy with someone what God has for you is getting bigger while you wait. It's like you go to your favorite restaurant and they make your favorite steak. Can you imagine you order a petite filet and because you waited for it, it ends up a T-bone? No, no, that's how the blessings of God work. It gets bigger in the waiting. And if you're not willing to wait, you're asking God for something small now. You got to be willing to wait so it can get the size it's supposed to be while you're while you get the size in the spirit you are supposed to be because blessings, I always say this, are heavier than problems. You think you're carrying a weight now, wait till you get blessed. Wait till you get blessed, it gets heavier. Paul said, I'm, I'm praying that their eyes would be open. Open their eyes. Open their eyes. Open their, their eyes so they can see all that God has called them to do. John 5, verse 19 through 24, and we're going through a lot of scripture, so when you get the, um, the YouTube or whatever, man, write every verse down, go through it, because these verses are important. John 5, verse 19 through 24, Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you, the son can do nothing of his own accord, but wait a minute, but only what he sees the Father doing. Wait. I thought, don't we do what we're told? He didn't say, no, I only do what God tells me to do. He says, I only do what I see the Father doing. He's saying, I can do what God wants me to do because I have the perspective God wants me to have. I can do heavenly things are produced out of my heavenly perspective. And I want to, this is so important that you get a perspective right. Because sometimes we'll be in prayer saying, God, tell me what to do. And I love your heart. Tell me what to do and I'll do it. But I've been asking God to tell me how to think. Because where you have heaven's perspective, you always have heaven's permission. When you have heaven's perspective, 
you always have heaven's permission. If, some, if a homeless person comes up to you and you have heaven's perspective of generosity, you don't need to go in the mobile bathroom and pray. Just bless them. Because you already have the perspective of heaven when it comes to that person. And what I am challenged with, and I believe somebody in here is challenged with, is when the devil gives us his circumstances, do we have demonic perspective? Because we're in a demonic trial or a hard time. Keep your heavenly perspective. Because where there is perspective, there is permission. I'll give you an example. My, my son, you can stand your feet. I took my son trick-or-treating a couple years ago. And... Um, he didn't have his dad's perspective, so he didn't have my permission to go up to the door by himself. So I held his hand, and I walked up to the door, and every time my son gets at the threshold of the door, they open up the door, he goes, trick or treat, and he walks right up in the house looking around. <laughs> they didn't invite him in. They, he couldn't see that I didn't go in. You hear what I just said? He couldn't see that his father didn't go in because he wanted what was in the bucket so bad that he couldn't see that his daddy didn't go in. The Bible says that God goes before us. And some of y'all know that God is with you, but you're not realizing he's behind you. And so my son walks in and he grabs the big old handful of candy and walks right out. And I said, son, say thank you. And he went, oh, thank you. We go to the next house. And this time I held his hand and I got him right up to the steps. And once again, he didn't notice that I didn't go in there. He walked in there. This time he saw, he said something about, what is that? Like asking people about the house. And, and uh, once again, grabs a handful of candy, walks out. And I said, son, say thank you. And he said, thank you. We walk out. Third house, the exact same thing, even though I told him twice. But this time, I didn't let him go up there by himself. This time, he had been, you know, disobedient. This time, I held his hand. You see, some of y'all think because you've been disobedient that God distanced himself. God actually draws near when you mess up. Because when my son was messing up, I said, this time, you're not going to, I'm, I'm, I'm holding your hand. And we walked up there, and my son walked in, and this time, he didn't go in. He let his daddy go in first because they invited us in, and he put his hand in the bucket, and he said, thank you, and I was so proud. So you know what I did on the fourth house? I distanced myself. And some of you are feeling like you're not as close to God as you used to be. You can't feel God, but God's saying, because I trust you, I'm not holding your hand in this season, because guess what I did in the fourth house? I let him go up by himself, and this time I wasn't holding his hand, I was watching. And I was listening to what he would say and so then, I'm standing in the back, and he could have turned around and could have said, Dad, you're not as close as you used to be. I said, no, I'm as close as I've always been, but now you have my perspective. Therefore, you have my permission to go up to the door. And I stayed close just in case he got into any trouble, just in case the door. But now I was more protecting than I was permission. And so he says, thank you. And every house we went after that, I was there, but I didn't need to hold his hand because he had my permission, because he had his perspective. He knew 
He knew. And I want to tell somebody, I know these moments in the presence of God, you're not weeping anymore. You're reading your Bible and you can't feel God anymore because that God, God is saying, because now you are my image. Now when you go places, it's not about you feeling God. It's when you show up, they feel God. Did you hear what I just said? Because let me tell you something. Sometimes I've been discouraged in this season because I just can't feel God like I could feel him when I was broken and hurting. But God is saying, son, that's because I'm living in you. I'm with you. Now other people can feel God when you don't feel God. And it's not about your feelings because where you have my perspective, you have my permission. I wish somebody could give Jesus one second of the craziest praise in the world right now.